Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Well, good morning, everybody. So as Austin said, I get the honor of preaching this morning. And, you know, Austin has been at the helm now for about two months and watching him preach. He's been doing a great job. But I realized one very important thing beyond just the biblical truths. I need to bring back the podium. (laughs) And the reason for this is twofold. One, I don't know how bad you guys have turned on him, but in first service, when he's mentioned anything about feeling old or anything like that, that crowd turned on him fast. And this gives you some nice cover if you guys start throwing things or anything like that. So that's one reason. Uh, The other reason that I brought it back is, uh, have you noticed that Austin uses his hands like this, like a lot? Well, yep, it's true. It's true. (laughs) Wounds from a friend. Wounds from a friend. No, but I know that I am guilty of that as well. Uh, I I mentioned that first service, and they're like, you use your hands more than he does. It's like, well, imagine if the podium wasn't here, how bad that would be. So this is kind of an anchor to keep me here uh, so that I'm not distracting you with a bunch of crazy hand movements. Uh, So uh, a few weeks back, Austin came to me and mentioned that he wanted to do this sermon series uh, surrounding the suffix able. And uh, the way, where we get that from is uh, from Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. So we're going to have it on the screen. You guys want to read it with me as we've been trying to memorize it? Ready? All right. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Austin has really been doing a great job in this series. Uh, it started out two weeks back with Redeemable, and uh, we looked at the account of Joseph and his brothers and how God goes beyond just redeeming situations, but has this like crazy jujitsu move where what was meant for evil, he's able to flip it around and turn it into good. And uh, that was just such a great message. Then last week, it was all about vulnerable, and we looked at Adam and Eve and this idea of being vulnerable and how we need to be vulnerable with God and a few others in order to increase intimacy and how there is risk in that, but it is ultimately worth it. And so when he talked to me and told me that I would be preaching one of these weeks, I, of course, started to think about ways I could make it just a little weird. And and what I mean by that is, you know, technically still follow what he's asking with the suffix able, but not quite, like make it a little weird. So I started thinking of words that technically end in able, but aren't what you're thinking. Like table, that ends in able. And I was like, no, we did that for Christmas. Fable, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. The Bible is not a fable, not going there, nope. Then cable, stable, sable, like a mink coat, you know? That's too hard for even me to pull off. And then he talked more and mentioned that he wanted all of the stories to come from Genesis. And it clicked. Cain and Abel. See, doesn't, isn't that great? Yeah, you got to flip-flop the L and the E, but oh, it works so good. And so that's what I decided I was going to do, and that's what we're doing this morning. But as I started digging into the scripture, I realized that uh, in this passage, the bigger takeaway that fits perfectly with this Abel message is that Cain was reachable. And each of us 
is reachable. No matter what we've done, God still wants to speak into our lives. So with that in mind, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. A little heads up, so I don't do this very often, and I told Steph that I was going to be in NASB. I'm not. I'm in NIV. So everything on the, on the screen is going to be in NASB, but hear the words of my mouth, and that's what I'm going to be preaching out of. But a really important thing is the word man-child, which you don't hear very often, will appear on the screen. So that's why I think the Lord had me get that wrong. So you all would see the word man-child. I believe, yeah, right in the middle of the screen there. So there it is. But I'm going to be reading uh, the whole account first, and then we'll break it down. So starting in verse 1, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer in the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So like I said, big fan of reading it all up front so we have a good view of what we're going to be going through, and then going back, breaking it down piece by piece. So the first thing that I notice in this passage is that Cain and Abel both had relationship with God. From the start, the brothers were both in God's reach and had that relationship with him. We see this in the fact that both of them brought offerings to God from what they did. Abel was a rancher and Cain was a farmer. It says so right here. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So they both knew it was good to acknowledge that God is Lord. And they both brought an offering to reflect this. But right off the bat, there was something different about each offering. One offering was accepted, the other was not. 
You know, in researching, some, in, uh, in researching some of this, some people are of the opinion that the key to the offering is in the substance, as in animals are more of a sacrifice than plants, that the shedding of blood isn't what is important, citing some portion of the law, and that an, the, animal sacrifice, uh, the animal sacrificial system that God had set up with his people. And while sin can only be atoned for by the shedding of blood, grain offerings were an important part of sacrifice throughout the law. You know, Austin talked last week about the first time anything died in scripture. It was to cover the mistake of Adam and Eve. This was because sin, again, needed help covering it up with that blood. And they needed that to cover their mistakes. But as we look through scripture, one of the main driving points when making an offering is that we bring our first fruits to the Lord. That whatever you do, whether it be from the field, the herd, the vine, the flock, the tree, whatever, we bring the best that we have to God. For us today, this means that we bring our best in whatever we do. And for almost all of us to today, that means we give the first part of our income back to the Lord. Before bills, before taxes, before wants, and even needs, we honor God with what he has blessed us with. And in this passage, we see this is exactly what Abel did. He brought the fat portions of his firstborns as an offering, the best that he had to give. The first and best, he knew that this is what God wanted from him and really what God deserved. And Cain brought some of his fruit, not the best, but still some. And in this instance, God seems to be an afterthought, or at least not the first thought. And God looked in favor on Abel and his offering, but not on Cain and his offering. What's mentioned first here? Is it the offering? No. First and foremost, God is looking at the men. More importantly, the hearts and desires of those men. You know, believe it or not, God does not need our stuff. I mean, go figure, right? It's ridiculous to think that we could bring anything that God needs to him. Not only does everything already belong to God, but he made everything, like literally made everything, right down to the atoms and corks and what's smaller than a cork? I'm not a scientist, but all of it was made by God, the teeniest, tiniest details. And even though God doesn't want or need our stuff, he desperately desires us. He wants our hearts to long for him. He wants us to bring the best of his stuff back to him because really we have no other option. And when we do this, it reflects how we view God. God wants us to always have him first in our lives. The first and greatest commandment reflects this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is what it boils down to. And right away, we see that Cain is not putting God first. And immediately, God let Cain know that what he had offered was not what God was wanting. And while we don't have the dialogue here, we know that God had let Cain know that his offering wasn't enough by what the scriptures say. God could see into Cain's heart and already saw the warning signs that Cain's heart was not first and foremost invested in God. Something else was vying for and winning Cain's treasure and therefore his heart. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God could see through Cain's offering to the heart, and he already knew that drift was starting. And Cain, instead of seeking the Lord and asking why his offering was not as good, 
He instead got angry and upset. You know, God still lets us know when we're a bit off today. The Bible tells us that after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, the Holy Spirit came to help us. And this means that God can speak to each of us in our hearts today, here, and now. And while most of us don't have verbal conversations with God, we still feel when the Spirit working, that still small voice inside us that lets us know when things are a little off or just not quite right, or, or maybe really far off. He speaks into those too. And Cain, he starts off just a little off. He's doing a lot of things right here. He's bringing an offering to the Lord. That's, that's a great place to start. I mean, heck, it could be argued that Cain's sacrifice was more taxing since the curse laid out on man in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve first sinned was on the ground and that the ground would yield its fruit less easily. I mean, Cain might have been bringing a more difficult offering. But even though he knew he had to offer God something, it was not his first and best. Something else was getting that. You know, in the same way, we can be doing a lot of good stuff. We can be reading our Bibles, participating in small groups, tithing, serving in the body, basically acting like good Christians. But if we are not putting God first in our lives and truly being his disciples in our hearts and our thoughts, we're missing the mark. And the Holy Spirit will continue to convict us that we're just a bit off. You know, I think that this will likely be a struggle to some degree throughout all of our lives for the rest of our lives. God wants more of us each and every day. And as we give more of ourselves to him, he'll be pleased with us, but he's gonna still want more. Now, don't think of this as him trying to drain us dry. We see this in the parable of the talents, that the first two servants who took the talents, used them, created more talents and gave them back to God, that God doesn't just say, thanks, I'll take those, see you later. No, he says, well done, good and faithful servants, enter into the joy of your master. We are invited into that joy. God wants us to be full and fulfilled, but much more than that, he wants us to see and realize that this is not found in stuff or money or anything else. The only thing that can bring us joy and satisfaction is surrendering fully to him. Here's a little side note for you. I found that I, I used to really like warning people who had a lot of money and stuff not to like love that stuff too much because their hearts might be corrupted by it. And then as I was reading the Bible, I saw where it says God won't test us and more, that we're, more than we're able to bear. And I realized, wait a minute, I don't have any, like a lot of stuff. What does that mean about me? Maybe I'm the one who shouldn't be trusted with it, and that's why God has given them the stuff. So that's just a little freebie for you. So I throw that out there. I don't have things. All right, let's keep going. So the next part of Scripture says this. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You know, I, I wonder what it must have been like, what it must be like, I'm sorry, for God to know all things. He can see what is going on in someone's heart. Not only that, but he can see what will come from that. But instead of jumping in and changing everything, and he could do that, he's God, he can do whatever he wants, he gently speaks to us and then lets us make our own call. God could see into Cain's heart, and he knew where this anger and jealousy were going. 
And he told Cain how he could be made right again. God says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? What was it that Abel did that was right? He had oriented his heart towards God and God had him first in his life, or he had God first in his life. And this was reflected in the offering. God is telling Cain, come back to me. Let's have more relationship. Don't worry about the stuff. Don't worry about your brother. Just worry about me. If you don't do that, things are going to get really bad really fast. You know, it's interesting how the Bible describes Cain as having his face downcast. Cain is not looking towards God. He's looking down. What does he see when he looks down? He sees the earth that he works, his job, and all that goes into it. The sweat and the toil that is required to bring forth the fruits of the earth. As he looks down, he sees his little brother. And he's comparing himself to someone that has no real bearing on his ability to do right or wrong. And as he looks down on himself, he's not looking towards God, but he's looking towards himself. I think each of us struggle with seeing these things in our own way. And God is always reaching out for us to turn away from those and to come back to him. The first one, the earth that Cain worked. How easily is it for us to get caught up in what we do? You know, before, before you leave here saying, <laughs> Pastor John was saying that work is bad and it pulls us away from God. That's not what I'm saying. Work was in the Bible before the fall of man. God created work for us. We are always meant to do work. But we need to make sure that we know who we are working for and why we are doing it. And I think that because of sin and how work has become harder, we can let it become too important in our own eyes. We let it become a focus and we start letting it pull us away from God. And that will lead us to putting something else before God. You know, even as a pastor, I can put my job too high and let it become a stumbling block towards my relationship with God. God first, everything else, even what he calls us to do, is second. So the next thing that Cain saw when he looked down is his little brother, Abel. And Cain has a really hard time seeing his brother do something that he is better at than Cain is. I mean, we, we can all get caught up in this. Which of us hasn't had a brother or sister or friend or colleague and looked at them and gotten distracted by seeing what they are doing instead of looking at what God has called us to do and be? It's interesting how our society is obsessed with being individuals. We love to be unique, to break the mold. We're, we're special. Yet we're constantly comparing ourselves to each other. Am I as good as him? Am I as smart as her? Why don't I have what they have? And it's not just a worldly problem. The Bible speaks directly to us not being jealous and envying each other's gifts. Heck, even the disciples had this problem. After Jesus tells Peter that he's going to die for the sake of the gospel, Peter immediately asks about John. And Jesus says, what is it to you if he lives and you die? What does that matter to you? And so that is where God calls each and every one of us to a personal relationship with him. This relationship is not built on anyone else or created through anyone else. Like Austin talked about last week, intimacy with God can only be found in him. You can't take this from anyone or give it to anyone. It has to come from God. And in reality, we are all truly, utterly unique. 
And it's because of this uniqueness that the only way we can, that we can get real insight into understanding who we're meant to be and what we're meant to do is to look to the manufacturer. God has the only standard we should ever try to achieve. But you know, as I, I think about the things that Cain saw when he looked down, the biggest thing that he saw when he looked down was himself. I try this right now. Look down, like actually look down. What do you see? Me. Yeah, well, you. I, I see me. You see you. We all see ourselves. And I think that that is the biggest obstacle in our relationship with God because we are always there. We can't fix our own problems. We may want to, but we can't. Last week, Adam and Eve, they first sinned. And what did they try to do? They tried to fix it themselves. They tried to cover themselves up with leaves, but it was insufficient. And God had to intervene and life was lost to fix the problem. When we look to ourselves in times of trouble and need, we give the devil an opportunity. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. God is telling Cain, worse is yet to come. If he keeps going down this line, he is going to have to face sin alone. And Cain should have a pretty good idea of what happens when you try to face sin alone. His parents, who were made perfect, failed as soon as they understood right and wrong. What hope does Cain have being born into a broken and fallen world? All of us need to turn to the one source that can keep us from sin and ultimately redeem us. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. Sin so easily entangles us. I love that line. It's so true. It's just so easy to fall into sin. But Jesus is the only one who overcame sin and death. He's the only one who was able to master it and rule over it. If we do not respond to him when he reaches out for us, we are lost. Get your eyes off of yourself and on to the one who crushed sin once and for all. But Cain doesn't heed God's call. And we go on to read this. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. 
You know, as I was reading this and rereading it, uh, I discovered a terrible truth that just dawned on me. And that's that the first death in human history was murder. After the fall, death was the inevitable end for man. The best thing God made when he made all of creation was now one day going to be destroyed. But how much worse is, is that how God knew that the pinnacle of his creation would die its first death at the hands of the pinnacle of his creation. If God was going to step in like at any time, it would have been right there. But he didn't because he knows the only way to have relationship with us is to give us the opportunity to choose him. But with that comes the opportunity not to choose him. And Cain made a terrible choice. I think that there are a lot of people who feel out of God's reach because of what we have done. But as I read this account, I see two final takeaways that I think are the most important of the morning. The first thing is that each and every person needs to acknowledge that there are terrible consequences for sin. Sin is awful. It's just the worst, and it left this world broken. We cannot look at this story and slide past the very clear message that sin has consequences. Cain's vocation would become even harder than before, and he would wander the earth restlessly. That first part is punishment. God is actually making Cain's work harder. There are times that God, as a loving father, needs to punish his children. Anyone who has children knows that there are times when your kids need punishment to help them understand the weight of their actions. And there's no getting around that. But please hear this. I am not saying that if there's anything wrong in your life, it is because of some sin you're not confessing or confronting. Jesus clearly told us that we would have trouble in this world simply because we follow him. And following Jesus is the exact opposite of sin. This world is a broken world, and we all suffer because of that. But not everything bad in your life is a result of your own personal sin. And that brings me to the second part of the statement on how Cain made his life so much harder for himself in murdering his brother. Truly, everyone in the world knew what Cain had done. And the relationships with all those other people were broken in that instance. We see this in Cain's plea to God for a lesser sentence. He knows that everybody knows what he's done. And he's very afraid that they're going to do the same to him. You know, uh, I, don't, I didn't have this first service, but I think it's an important point. Uh, Cain, when he says, my punishment is too great for me to bear, most translations uh, would say that my sin or my iniquity is too much for me to bear. It's not the punishment God laid out on him. It's the weight that Cain felt himself. And, you know, I think it's easy for us as modern-day Christians to think that because of Jesus, sin has no consequences. Jesus paid it all. That is true. It is the most true statement in the world that Jesus paid the price for our sins and that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we are made new, we have a place in eternity, and we have a restored relationship with God. It's all that Austin talked about in week one, that God can redeem all the messes that we have made. And that is the power of the blood of Jesus. But we should never trick ourselves into thinking that because of Jesus, all consequences 
of sin have no effect on us. When you lie to someone, you will lose their trust and that trust will never, may never be recovered. If you commit adultery, either actually or in your heart or mind, you damage the relationship with your spouse and the rest of your family, and sometimes to the point of losing those relationships. Now, I don't have time to name every sin and all the garbage that comes with it. We all have our own sins. We understand them and the consequences of those. Sin messes things up. We have to understand that. But it's because of that that it brings me to my final point, and I think the best takeaway from this message, that God did not lay down the punishment that Cain would be hidden from him. Cain laid that punishment on himself. God still wanted Cain to have a relationship with him. He was still merciful with Cain. Later, when the law was given, we see that Cain's punishment should have been death, but God spared him. Not only that, but God gives him protection from others who might want to do exactly what he had done to his brother. God never stopped loving Cain, and he will never stop loving you either. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will always reach out to you and me no matter what we have done. His reach knows no bounds. But it is on us to decide if we are going to turn to him when he reaches. Cain could not stop looking down himself. He heard the consequences for his actions and decided that he was not good enough to have a relationship with God. In the last verse, we see that Cain left the presence of the Lord, not because that was his punishment laid out by God, but because that was the punishment Cain laid out for himself. Friends, we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived. No matter what you have done, God still wants a relationship with you. God can reach us no matter where we are, no matter what we've done or what we're currently doing. You may be thinking, you don't know what I've done or the mess that I'm in. You're right, I don't. But God does. And he still wants to reach out to you and pull you out of whatever mess you're in. You know, it might be hard, it might hurt. In fact, likely it will be both of those things. But you will not be alone. God will be there with you, helping you escape. Also, there's a body of believers right here in this church who can help you. But that's going to take some of that vulnerability that Austin talked about last week. The theme verse for this series is exactly what this account tells us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Cain could not even think, let alone believe, that God would still want relationship with him. And yet God still did. The bottom line is God is reaching out to each and every one of us. But it's on us to respond to him, to let him help us out of our mess. So if you feel out of reach this morning, you are not. Talk to someone this morning and respond to the reach of God. The prayer team will be down up front or in the back. Talk to them. Talk to someone you came with. Or talk to a pastor or someone on staff. There's plenty of people who can talk to you and let you know the truth that God is reaching out to you. So we're going to close this morning with
with a time of worship where we can just reflect on the, the truth that God is reaching towards each one of us. We're going to pray, we're going to sing, and then we're going to go. Remember that God is and always will be reaching for each of us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are good, that you love us, that your reach knows no bounds. Lord, I pray for anyone here who just feels like they have done something or are doing something or have been somewhere. I don't know. Whatever it is that's on their heart that has convinced them that they are unlovable and unreachable, Lord, that you would break down that wall, that you would throw that argument back to the pit of hell where it came from, and that they would see that you desire a relationship with them. Lord, we thank you for this morning and for your son who has made it possible to have fully restored, fully renewed relationship with you. So we're going to pray, Lord.